Well, hi, welcome to another edition of the Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I love astronomy, I love science fiction, and what a way to marry the two in a book by Hugh Ross, Ken Samples, and Mark Clark. The book's called Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. Is there any other title that's as good as that? Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. And the subtitle, A Rational Christian Look at UFOs and Extraterrestrials. So I don't know if you've ever thought about questions like, you know, could life exist on other planets? Uh, is there documentation for UFO sightings? Seems like they've been in the news lately. Uh, what about the government? Is it involved in UFOs? Is it hiding things? Is there a relationship between UFO sightings and demonology? And then especially, how should Christians approach the subject of UFOs and extraterrestrial life? So these are three authors that are, I think, highly qualified to talk about this. Hugh Ross heads up Reasons to Believe. He's, uh, he has his Ph.D. in astronomy, sharp guy. He's been in our uh, apologetics class, been to the church that we attend, and a very kind, decent person and uh, incredibly sharp. Ken Samples also works for Reasons to Believe. He's uh, in charge of philosophy and uh, theological apologetics there. Uh, founder and president of the Augustine Institute. It's a nonprofit educational center for philosophical and religious studies. Also the author of several books. And then Mark Clark uh, is a professor of political science and the chair of that department at Cal State San Bernardino. At least he he has been. Now, this book has been out for several years, so I, I don't know what the current status of him is. But uh, good good stuff here from these authors. So what I'd like to do is just explore a few of the chapters. I'm going to do more than one. The chapters are fairly short, and um, I just think they're excellent as far as getting our brain cooking here and beginning to think about things. One chapter is called Interspecies or space travel. So, of course, people often think of UFOs as uh, saucers or whatever coming to this world from some world way out there. And he wants to spend a chapter, I say he, this is Hugh Ross who wrote this chapter. <clears throat> he wants to spend a chapter telling what it'd be like to actually travel across these vast reaches of space. So, you know, is this possible? Should we just glibly say, well, yeah, these, these UFOs are probably from another a planet, some kind of alien race. But he said, first, he said, you, you want to consider the scale of space. And I love analogies. I don't know about you, but it helps me visualize. So he says, consider this. If you represent our sun as a grapefruit and you put that in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, where's the nearest star? Well, it's about another grapefruit size. It'll be in downtown Managua, Nicaragua. Okay, I'll just let that sink in for a second. That, that's the nearest star. And think about, we haven't been able to go very far ourselves. We got to the moon, and that's been it. And the moon would be just a little tiny distance, wouldn't it? But So one grapefruit in the middle of L.A., second grapefruit, middle of Managua, Nicaragua. He says, so he said, the fastest spacecraft we've ever had if you could shoot it out to the nearest star, it'd take you 112,000 years. Oh, my word. He said, even if you could travel like half the velocity of light, a spaceship would take nine years to make the trip. Now, you say, well, maybe that's doable. Well, here's the problem. 
they've done all sorts of uh, searches, you know, for extraterrestrial intelligence, that SETI program. They scanned something like 200 of these solar type stars within 155 light years of Earth to see if they got any kind of signals. Zero. Zip. Not a, not one intelligible signal. So now we're probably talking about maybe 200 light years. We've got to go out that far to maybe we could find some um, alien civilization. What, what would that be like? He said, here's the problem. If you're going to move something through space, like if you had, if you could try to go the velocity of light, the energy required would be infinite. And so the, the higher a spacecraft speed, the more propellant you need, the bigger the engines. And of course, the faster you go through space, the more you're going to get dinged up by space debris. And then you got a, exposure to radiation is a problem. And he says, uh, by conservative estimates, any spacecraft that had intelligent beings on it could probably go no faster than 1% of the velocity of light. Well, that would take you then 23,000 years to get out to 230 light years. 23,000 years. Well, that's not so good. Well, what about wormholes, right? People say you pop into a wormhole and you come out some other place. So the idea is if a black hole, for example, is connected um, to another black hole, then maybe that would be a travel corridor. And uh, so is that a possibility? And he said, well, black holes are, are rare. So the idea that you could find two of them is about zero. But he said worse than that. He says the worst thing about trying to get through a wormhole is just the physical laws would just shred anything that tried to enter the black hole and get out the other side. Well, here's another possibility. He says maybe some people will do what they call a multi-generational travel. In other words, the parents start off, they have kids, their kids have kids, and on and on for all these hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, huh, says you're going to need a large and diverse base population he said that you got a limit on the size of the party, uh, reproduction problems. Uh, it, it, that's not going to work very well. I said probably if there are aliens out there, they're going to send machines rather than members of their own species. So that's one chapter. He also covers another chapter I wanted to focus on, which is called uh, the interdimensional hypothesis. So he spends quite a bit of time showing why physical objects are probably not going to be able to do the things that they're uh, said to do. And he's, he has not originated this idea, but there is something called an interdimensional hypothesis. So what are they talking about here? Well, they said maybe these UFOs are entering the physical dimensions of our universe from outside, whatever that means, outside length, height, width, and time. In other words, outside our four dimensions. And they, they have all sorts of scenarios. They say maybe it's another physical universe and they can connect to ours. Or maybe they're coming from another dimension different than the ones that we think of. Maybe a spiritual realm. Hey, that's starting to sound Christian, isn't it? But some of these are not Christian. So the best known spokesperson for this is a French physicist, Jacques Vallée, V-A-L-L-E-E. -E. And here's, and remember, he's not a Christian. But he says this UFO phenomena, quote, represent evidence for other dimensions beyond space-time. So he says there's something out there. He's, and he said, uh, now he being Hugh Ross says the principles of physics 
don't rule out the possibility of a reality beyond our cosmos. I mean, that's that's what we're thinking started this universe that we're part of, something outside, some transcendent cause brought the universe into existence. Ross points out that, you know, only the Bible, out of all the holy books of the world's religions, only the Bible unambiguously says that time has a beginning, that the Creator brought time into existence, and that God can and does exercise cause and effect capabilities outside the time dimension of the universe. So he gives some verses there, Genesis 1.1, Hebrews 11.3, many other Bible passages talk about God existing before the beginning of time, 2 Timothy 1.9, Titus 1.2, and uh, some verses identify him as the creator of the entire cosmos, John 1.3, Colossians 1.16-17, and in some other places too. Uh, he says, think about John 20.19, where Jesus startles the disciples and just shows up in a room that had been locked. So something's going on. There's some kind of extra dimensionality there as well. He says the Bible, uh, which we all know, describes some kind of spirit realm beyond matter and space and time and energy. And uh, he says no other holy book comes close to the Bible's accuracy in talking about physical reality. So probably the Bible is the best source of things about the spirit realm. And he says the Bible declares that there's a God out there and that there are two kinds of spiritual creatures, humans and angels. Well, he says humans are restricted to this cosmos, right? We're, we have to be part of matter, space, time, and energy, so they can't account for UFOs. But what about angels or demons? These are intelligent beings existing beyond space-time dimensions of the universe. Now, he says, that's a possibility right there. Now he says, uh, I guess the way to put it is, he, he says these UFOs, the, the characteristics that we encounter and, and recognize, they are real, but they're non-physical. So he says they favor certain times and locales. They keep pace with human technology and science fiction. See, I think that's fascinating. For example, in 1896 and 1897, they had a bunch of different sightings. And guess how they were described? UFOs at that time were described as strange dirigibles. Okay, well, then the next major wave of sightings was 1947. They're no longer dirigibles being described. They're flying saucers. And then there was another surge in 52, 57, 64, 67, 73. And it says reports indicate that the physical capabilities of these UFOs stayed just ahead of the technology at the time. It says uh, they also mimic the limits of published science fiction available at the time. Okay, so he says these UFOs seem to have been around forever, uh, for, for as long as humans have been around. They match the scientific literacy of their witnesses. It says they usually get some kind of messages across. They make repeated visits to certain witnesses and sites. They habitually return to certain people in certain places. It says the most repeated visited sites are Brazil and Spain. Isn't that interesting? And then they visit a select few people, very few. And it says the most significant factor, like who would they come visit, is the activities that these people pursue. Ross indicates that observations reveal that professional astronomers that are really involved in the occult or certain new age pursuits 
often see UFOs, but he says uh, professional astronomers that stay away from those pursuits never encounter them. Isn't that interesting? So the idea is that if people are involved in cultic or occultic or New Age pursuits, they tend to be more open to the visitations of UFOs. Uh, they appear to be alive. They appear to be alive. They, uh, there are all sorts of... Uh, well, for example, here's one researcher... He said, over and over again, witnesses have told me in hushed tones, you know, I don't think that thing I saw was mechanical at all. I got the distinct impression that it was alive. UFOs also arouse disturbing emotions. They, they have intense fear. People that encounter them, distress, anxiety. It says, sometimes the stress is so great the witnesses would tremble uncontrollably. They couldn't speak or move for hours. It says, uh, they don't always fade. Those kinds of disturbing emotions don't always fade with the passing of the UFO event. And in fact, for some people, these disturbances have gotten worse. This is fear, distress, and anxiety can develop into hysteria, recurring nightmares, and even insanity. It says not even, it's not even uh, limited to humans. Certain mammals also experience that same kind of fear, distress, and anxiety says these mammals react to UFOs before humans do, but they don't seem to have long-term psychological consequences. The other thing UFOs do is they often cause bodily and psychological harm. says uh, symptoms like nausea and headaches, hair loss, diminished vision, diarrhea, swelling, paralysis, sleep cycle changes, and weight loss. Sometimes it's burns, it's wounds, and even death. Said a guiding principle says the closer the encounter physical encounter, the greater the physical injury that gets suffered. It says people t typically will heal from these physical injuries, but the psychological industries, uh, injuries can last a lifetime. Well, that's, I think, fascinating. So Hugh Ross ends the chapter by saying, it seems apparent that these residual UFOs must be associated with demons. Um, he quotes a agnostic, which I think is useful, you know, talk to somebody, get them to respond, ones that are not Christians, because you're going to get a, a good picture. It's not just coming from a Christian perspective. So there's an astronomer and agnostic, J. Allen Hynek, H-Y-N-E-K. He states, UFOs cause physical effects, quote, in the same way that a poltergeist can produce very real physical effects. Okay, Hynek says this UFO business is essentially solved. He says that's why they can make right angle turns, why they can dematerialize, why sometimes they're picked up on radar, radar and sometimes not. And there's another agnostic astronomer, Paul Davies. He's very well known. He says no clear distinction can be drawn between UFO reports and descriptions of religious experience of, say, the Fatima variety. Isn't that interesting? John Keel, he's another agnostic. He talks about demonology. He says there have been a lot of books written on it. And he said the manifestations and occurrences described in demonology are similar, if not entirely identical, to the UFO phenomenon itself. Victims of demonology, demons, suffer the same medical and emotional symptoms as UFO con contactees. Then he has a reference to Lynn Cateau, C-A-T-O-E. She's a senior bibliographer for the Library of Congress. She agrees with all of this. She reviewed 1,600 books and articles on UFOs. 
and her statement is that many of the UFO reports now being published in the popular press recount alleged incidents that are strikingly similar to demonic possession and psychic phenomena which have long been known to theologians and parapsychologists. Well, he said, uh, according to the Bible, this is back to Hugh Ross now, demons can attack only individuals who are opening themselves up to these kinds of attacks. And he says, if it really is demonic, these UFOs, he said, then researchers probably will continue to observe a correlation between how much this person gets involved in things like Ouija games and astrology and spiritualism, things like that. There'll be a correlation between that kind of activity and demonic attacks. So this book I, is really fascinating. I hope you'd consider taking a look at it. Um, there's just been a round recently, again, of UFO sightings, U.S. Navy this time. So this is not going away, but I think we do have a spiritual angle to it that explains it away. But um, read it for yourself and see what you think. Well, thanks for spending some time with me, and I uh, hope to catch you on the next podcast.